Brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, we probably realize again that chapter 9 follows chapter 8's um, introduction of something that Paul had to deal with after he was done, sort of done with talking about his relationship to the Corinthians. Uh, so much of the first seven chapters dealt with that. And we're not quite done yet. After chapter 9, he sort of goes back again to uh, have some uh, other things to say about those opponents in the church in Corinth. Uh, but uh, 8 and 9 are definitely about a very practical issue, and that has to do with the offering for the saints, for the brothers and sisters, the Jewish mostly, Jewish brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem. Um, and so this is what uh, we find as we hear Paul continue to uh, dis, uh, explain um, his, uh, his instructions uh, to the church in Corinth and, and why. Uh, so eight and nine go together, and, um, and, and that's why, uh, again, we are looking at this chapter today. And this chapter uh, today is uh, uh, rather practical, isn't it? Um, there's some pretty profound theology there as well, um, but uh, it is uh, the reference to the need for uh, God's people to uh, make true their promise uh, evidently, a year earlier, the church itself had taken the initiative to uh, raise this offering for the poor in Jerusalem, um, and, uh, and, and Paul attributes that to the grace of God in their lives. Um, and so now that all this uh, conflict has, uh, has occurred and come about, and uh, things had to be slowed down, uh, people were probably distracted from that initial fervor to, let's raise money for our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, isn't that true how that often happens in the life of the church? You know, when things are fairly stable, uh, we focus, tend to focus on the mission of the church, the vision of the church, and then something happens and everything gets distracted, you know, because that's t the tendency that we all have. We, we tend toward the negative, perhaps. Uh, if the problems are there, you can't ignore them. Uh, and so they do become a distraction. Uh, and that may be why uh, Paul now a year later or so uh, revisits this need for them to now finish what they started earlier. Um, and so um, this, this passage and his explanation is sprinkled with the concept of grace. Um, and so my theme for the message is the grace of God in Christ makes us into cheerful givers. And before you uh, start uh, pulling out your checkbook again, uh, I want to make it very clear that we're not just talking about money, okay? Uh, yes, definitely, uh, without money, these uh, poor in Jerusalem couldn't be helped. Um, but I'd like to think that when God calls us to be cheerful givers, that it is the sentiment that we have in our heart as a response to God's amazing grace to me that that would then reciprocate that response of cheerful giving. I cheerfully give of my monies, but I also cheerfully give of my time in prayer. I take the time to think about that person or that person, or I take the time to visit that person or that person, or do other things in Christian ministry that shows that uh, our time, our money, our resources are not ours in the ultimate sense. We are stewards, merely. And uh, why would we not, in light of that which is to come, be very cheerful and, very, and be very generous and liberal in um, 
in how we view those things like time and money and resources. Um, because like I said last week, the poor can't wait. Um, you know, some poor can maybe wait a little bit, but in a general sense you can say, uh, don't make the poor wait because you don't have your acts together. Um, and so this is a really an urgent task that is committed to the church. And another uh, maybe introductory remark that I can share at this point probably as good as anywhere else here is that when the Apostle Paul is addressing this practical need, the diagonal outreach is what you can call that, correct? You're thinking about the physical needs of brothers and sisters elsewhere or perhaps in the church, but others, um, that that is a branch of Christian ministry that should not be viewed as, as sort of secondary. Um, I don't know if, if, if I make any sense to you, but over the years, I sometimes have caught myself thinking, the ministry of preaching is here, and the ministry of my work with the elders is a little bit below that, not much, <laughs> and then the deacons is below that. I think that's a wrong way of thinking. The diaconal work is, 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 is an expression of the ministry of Christ. Christ's embodied word and deed ministry. That's why in the Reformed uh, tradition we have an organization called that. Word and deed ministries. Because that deed part is not just practical, but it is spiritual as well. It is an outflow from the cross of Jesus, from the grace expressed to us via the cross, that we have been dealt the grace of God in superabundance. And therefore, we ought to take the diaconal ministry of the church with the greatest seriousness and um, joyfulness uh, that we can muster. And so that uh, brings me back to the outline here the, uh, before us. Um, the origin of Christian giving. If we forget about the cross, if we forbid, forget about Christ and what he did for us in his uh, uh, role as mediator and redeemer and savior of sinners, uh, then uh, giving is just giving. Uh, it is humanitarianism. You know, it's, it's humanism. Um, it is uh, social kindness uh, that you might expect from others um, uh, in the world who don't know Christ or profess to know Christ. But Christian giving is Christian because it is a giving as an expression of our thankfulness to God. Because what are we thankful for? We're thankful for his grace. And what is grace? Undeserved merit, undeserved favor, the kindness of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of our sins. That's a gift. We didn't work for it. We can't return uh, our thankfulness to God as, uh, as a way by which to sort of pay off this debt of gratitude. And so we have been blessed with God's gift. When you look at the Greek, sometimes it's worth mentioning that off the pulpit, but the word Eucharist in English comes from the Greek Eucharistia. And so if I had a blackboard behind me or a whiteboard, I would write that word, and then you would see right in the middle of that the word charis, 
And so when you are a thankful person, a thankful person arises from the grace of God that he has shown to you and me. So when we think about the call of the gospel to be thankful Christians, and that's, by the way, not just an invitation. It is most often a command. Um, I can't cite it right now, but Colossians 3.15 is what I have in my notes, and that is a summons to thankfulness, a summons to thanksgiving. It's a command that God gives and issues towards the church that we be thankful people. Why? Because God in Christ has shown us grace. And that is a grace that we don't deserve. And I hope that none of us will ever take that for granted, that we presume upon God's grace. Don't partake of communion if you presume upon God's grace, because that's, that's, that's wrong. But if you know that you're a sinner, and you know the love of God for you, and you know what Jesus went through as the Son of God in your place, in the flesh, and what he did for you, and how he accomplished your salvation by receiving the judgment of God on him that should have been on us. When you appreciate that by faith, come, partake, you ought to. But if that's kind of stuff that you are indifferent about, or, you know, then don't partake, because then you call judgment upon yourself. Um, and I don't mean to say that that necessarily means eternal judgment. Sometimes you know, churches have been confused about that. But it does mean that, that God will not bless that. And so we, we ought to take God's grace very seriously. It is a special, precious gift. It is, it is so valuable that we can't begin to put a number on it, monetarily-wise. It is the, every blood of Christ shed for you and me that prompts us to be thankful we're all sinners, we're all broken, we're all fallible uh, people. But we are given this gift, and because we don't deserve it, we ought to be ready uh, to give uh, and share of that grace which God first gave to us. I think the Apostle Paul thinks about, in those terms, when he opened the letter, remember how he said, that the, the comfort with which God comforted you, you comfort others. And so the comfort is the gospel comfort of grace in Christ for me. And that is so beautiful that when I think about my time or my resources or what have you, I can think of those as means by which I express my gratitude to God because I can give, not worrying about how much I have, but I give with thoughtfulness, but I give generously. I give cheerfully, not grudgingly or stingily. Um, and so the origin is always God's grace. Apart from God's grace, um, there is no Christian giving. And so let's remember that it starts with God's grace in Christ Jesus. But then that does, that does provoke a response in us, doesn't it? Um, like I said, we are celebrating communion this morning, and uh, this is the means of grace by which God provides us strength for the journey. Um, we're thinking of Ed, perhaps, this morning a little bit, here and there, as he comes to mind, as we realize that the Lord took him from us. Um, 
but, but it is the manifestation of the work of grace that God sovereignly does in a sinner. I don't know how much you know about Ed, and I don't want to give too many details, but we know he was in prison, and he was there for a reason, and it was, I believe, a chaplain who worked in his life to bring about this monumental change. And it is the same change that happened in you if you're a believer. You don't have to get distracted by the, uh, you know, the externals of it all. Uh, it can be a Pauline conversion versus a Timothy conversion, but it's a conversion. It's a change of your heart, a change of your mind, your, dis- your emotions, your affections. They're all becoming changed because the Holy Spirit does a work of change. The power of the Holy Spirit has impact on us when we hear the gospel, when we recognize our sinfulness, when we recognize that we will stand someday before God. As we'll see in a moment from the reading of 1 Peter 4 in the second service, there's a day of judgment coming. And for the Ed, that day has come, if you will, if you can put it in those terms, and he is with the book of Jude uh, speaking with great joy to his master. You saved me, Jesus, when I was in prison. You saved me when, I, when you were on the cross. It's another way of putting it. But you saved me. You made me new in Christ. And all these things that I've done, and you and I have done, we are ashamed of them. We're sorry for them. But don't let it determine your identity in Christ now. You are post the cross. Because on the cross, the Lord God placed the sins of all his elect, all his people, on his son, Jesus Christ. And so in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so we have a response to give, a response of God's grace to us by being gracious to others. And we can be gracious in so many ways, can't we? Um, and I would say that in the community of believers, in the church of Jesus Christ, um, that grace is something that binds us together. Whether we're old or young, um, we, we belong together. We are family. We are fellowship, koinonia, the New Testament calls it. It's a really a unique, uh, intimate term that is unique to the church. There's nothing else in the world. You know, I remember my younger days in Holland when I played soccer at a so- soccer club, and you know, you, you're with the guys, and you enjoy that, and uh, um, you have losses, and you have wins, and you exercise, and you, you sweat, and you hurt, and you do all those things, and it sort of binds you together, and it's wonderful, but the church is something entirely different yet. It goes well beyond and, and outside of those kinds of experiences. The fellowship of the church is filled with grace. We're always in a position to extend grace. Um, our emotions don't determine how we act. It is the righteousness of Christ in us, given to us as a free gift, that determines how I now live. And in the strength of the Holy Spirit, I recognize even more poignantly, more powerfully, the words of Paul in Romans 8, verse 32, uh, where uh, in Christ God gave us his all. Uh, God gave us in Christ his everything. Should we then not give our everything? Should we think about our lives, our time, our money, or whatever as something that we can kind of depart, compartmentalize and say, you know, 
No. The lordship of Jesus is over my entire life, my every breath. When we think about it that way, we become more generous. We become more thoughtful. We pay more attention to those around us, especially in the body of Christ. And so, yes, those brothers and sisters out in China or North Korea or in Iran, all those places where most of us have never been, we know intellectually, mentally that they're there, but we don't really have a, like an affinity that we have right now with being together in this place. But that is no reason to not appreciate the fact that those are our brothers and sisters. And so we're called, it's a, it's a sacred calling that we have to pray for these people as they are praying for us. And they're not praying that we pray that their persecution will be finished. They pray that we will be faithful till the end. And they, and, and, and our prayer is similar for them as how it ought to be, that we pray that the Lord will give our brothers and sisters in the whole body of Christ the focus of attention on the cross of Jesus and the new life we have in Christ and that that is a life that prompts us to give of ourselves whenever and where we can, thoughtfully for sure, but cheerfully nonetheless. And then finally, that brings me to the point that uh, the Apostle Paul in verses 10 through 15, roughly speaking, uh, focuses on uh, more specifically how this grace and God's glory are related. God is glorified when the grace that God extended to us is extended um, by us to others. So God has said, I have graced you, Corinthians, with my grace, with my comfort. And now Paul is saying to the Christians in the region that Corinth was a part of, Achaia, he is saying, now you be cheerful in your giving. Because by the way, I think he's a little bit naughty here or a little bit, you know, sort of like, um, uh, like strategic. But he is saying to the Christians in Achaia, now you be just as generous as those brothers and sisters in Macedonia are. Because they are really generous. And I've told the Macedonians how generous you are <laughs> in Achaia. <laughs> um, I have to talk with Paul about that. Um, but the fact of the matter is that Paul's purpose is to show that the grace that we have in Christ Jesus makes us generous. The Macedonians are proving that. Paul is saying that the Achaeans are doing that. And the Corinthians are a part of that group of churches, uh, being the capital city of that region. Um, and, uh, and, and that is how God's glory is is manifested uh, through the grace that he extends through the gospel to his people. Yeah, and let's remember again that that is that grace that Christ sacrificially shared with us. Um, when we have a lot of time or a lot of money or a lot of resources uh, and we, uh, you know, we give that away of s in some way, and we could say, well, um, I, I only gave this away and I don't notice it. <laughs> um, the matter is not how much you give, for example, but the spirit with which you give. Do you see it as 
not a sacrifice that is painful, but it is a sacrifice that is loving. It is a loving, joyful response to the sacrifice, the living sacrifice that was made for you and me. Um, and in some cases, it may mean that if we give sacrificially, then it might hurt us a bit. You know, we might say, well, I'm not buying that new pair of whatever or, you know, uh, and, and, and save up till I'm ready for that because I chose to support blah, 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 blah. But, but, but love is in its nature sacrificial. It comes from you, right? It comes from us. It comes from a heart that has been made new in Christ Jesus so that we give not for the sake of giving, but we give for the sake of responding to the grace and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for me. And so when we partake of communion in a moment, we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did for me. And I am being strengthened as I partake. I am prompted to worship you, to adore you, to praise you uh, in preparation for the week of service that lies before us. So that when we serve the Lord in our family structures, when we serve the Lord in our relationships with neighbors and colleagues uh, in the church as well, that it is a living sacrifice, a fellowship that, that, that abounds in living sacrifice that we, as it were, lift up continuously to the Lord in heaven. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, his life, his willingness, his endurance, his perseverance, challenged as he was by his humanity to find another way and ask you for that, but ending that with your will be done. Lord, we echo that. We are sometimes tempted to use shortcuts but we don't want to do that lord we want to be in your hand we want to be in your way in your pathway we want to be obedient to you because to be outside your will is no life but we want to be under and in your will and as such we want to be those who give of ourselves in gratitude to you for what you've done for us through the cross of jesus heavenly father Help us to be a blessing to one another in this congregation and to help us to be a blessing to those outside as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.